Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 23. Welcome back for another session of the Medical School HQ Podcast, the podcast about medical school, where we take you through the pre-med process, medical school, and even through residency. I'm your host, Ryan Gray, and I'm here to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. Today's session includes another great interview, but before we get started... We had a couple more five-star reviews, and I just wanted to say thank you for those. One was from Cognitronic, who said, Best Med School Podcast on iTunes, with three exclamation points. Awesome. The other one was from Jay Mouton. I think I'm saying that right. Another five-star review, and he actually left some good feedback. He, or, or she, requested to know in advance of an upcoming interview so that if you, the listener, wanted to ask a question or had a specific piece of information that you wanted me to get from the interview, then you could ask that. And so I went ahead and implemented a list that you can get at medicalschoolhq.net slash upcoming that will take you to a page that has a list of the upcoming interviews that I have. And as I'm recording this, I don't have many lined up, but check back there once a week or every couple of days and and see what's going on on as far as my interview schedule. I also will periodically send out a tweet or post to Facebook about upcoming interviews and ask for questions that way. So if you don't follow me on Twitter, you can do that. I'm at Medical School HQ and I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Medical School HQ. And you can... You can follow us there and see if I post anything about upcoming interviews. But two more five-star reviews. I want to thank you two for those. Again, the way iTunes works, I'm a little bit more visible to everybody that is searching for med school inter- information. And the more reviews that we have, the, the more people can see us. So if you haven't reviewed us yet, if you find valuable information in our podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it if you went ahead 
and went over to iTunes and left us a review and a rating. I have links to that in the show notes for today's show notes. You can get them at medicalschoolhq.net slash session 23. Everything that we talk about in the interview, you can find there. As I'm recording this, it is April 27th, and I want to remind you that I'll be speaking at the old pre-med conference, which takes place from June 6th through June 9th in Washington, D.C., you can check out oldpremeds.org slash conference for more information on that. I want to introduce today's guest for you. His name is Greg Politis. He is a physician, an educator, and a mentor at Washington University in St. Louis. Dr. Politis teaches the MedPrep program at WashU, which about 90% of the pre-med undergrads take. He's also the course master for the Practice of Medicine course, which first and third year medical students take. He serves on the admissions committee at Washington University School of Medicine, and he's also an associate professor of emergency medicine. Some of the things we discuss in today's interview are how to start your undergrad career on the right foot by not overextending yourself some volunteering and other extracurricular activity advice. We go over in-depth the med, the med prep program at WashU and how it prepares the undergrad students for medical school and beyond. And for students that aren't at WashU and don't have the opportunity to take med prep, we talk about what you can do at your school to kind of replicate med prep. We started the interview by talking about how the med prep course evolved. Med prep evolved because I felt there was a void that needed to be met in giving students a better idea of what a life in medicine is all about. I don't know about you, but when I was in college, I don't remember ever having an accurate idea of what the next decade of my life was going to be like. Um, and I find it interesting that students can call themselves pre-med, but most of them really don't know what they're in for. Uh, until they've really invested quite a bit of time and energy in the first few years of college. And then uh, they still don't learn much about the process they're about to enter. So, um, you know, and unfortunately, the, the prerequisite science courses don't really give students a blueprint either. Uh, and it's not that courses like biology and chemistry and physics aren't important because they are. They're the building blocks that a student needs for medical school. But in and of themselves, they don't really give a student a picture of the daily challenges of a physician or the road that it takes to get there. Uh, many students don't even begin to explore what medicine is in terms of uh, volunteering in a hospital or clinic until their junior year of college. But in those first two years, they can put in a lot of work only to get to a point where they're not sure if medicine is even right for them. That's why I felt med prep was a good answer for our students. I, uh, I have this analogy. I look at it this way. If you were heading out on a 2,000-mile trip cross-country, uh, would you simply just wake up one day, get in a car, and drive? I think the answer for most of us would be no. You'd take time to sit down, plan your plan your trip, plan the route, uh, and have checkpoints along the way that, that make sure you're heading in the right direction. Uh, so the goal was to create a course that would lay out the entire process. We lay out the entire educational process from the first day of college to the day one becomes a board-certified physician and discuss every step that occurs along that path. So it's a course that really does make uh, Washington University a great school to go to if you're, if you're thinking about a career in medicine. Okay. 
I think most people just jump in the car and, and pop open the GPS app on their iPhone and go. That's what I did. <laughs> or Even the, though there was no GPS then. In, in the old days, most people listening to this probably don't remember, but going to AAA and getting those big trip packs. Oh, oh I know. <laughs> I know. The days of maps are fading away. Yeah. Okay. So med prep is kind of exclusive to Wash U. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure being the the amount of stuff that you teach the pre-med kids, most of the pre-med kids probably take the course. Is, that, is that right? Yeah, about 90% of the pre-med student body takes it. Wow. Okay. So are, are you like a, a superstar on campus because all the, all the kids know that you teach med prep, you're, you're part of the admissions committee at the medical school, so they, they want to get in your good graces? Well, I, I think they just realize that um, they have somebody that, that has experience on both sides of the street. And, um, uh, you know, I'm happy that they feel comfortable to come and, you know, ask the questions they need to ask to get the right information. Yeah, and, and that's probably a big part of it is, is as a pre-med student, I remember that the, the medical, sky, medical school side of things, those were kind of the, the messiahs and, and you mm-hmm. kind of looked up to them. You were nervous to go to them, but your undergrad teachers were more approachable. And right. so the fact that you cross that line, I'm sure, is a, a great help to them. Yeah, I think it adds a little bit. I mean, we have uh, tremendous pre-health advisors, and I'm only one kind of piece of that that puzzle. But I think the part that I add is is that I can, uh, you know, kind of tell them a little bit about how schools do it on the other side in terms of how admissions uh, look at what we consider a, a competitive applicant. Okay. Let's talk about med prep. Mm-hmm. What, what exactly are you teaching the pre-med kids? So, uh, like I said, we try to go through the entire educational pathway uh, that a student is going to face really in, throughout their entire life. Uh, even We even go into what life in medicine is like once you're done. We start out uh, with an, a lecture called the Intersection of Medicine and the Y Generation. And this is kind of a foundational lecture that helps students uh, get an idea of how there are generational differences that sometimes can create a source of conflict for students when they realize that there are expectations in medicine that they're not familiar with. Everything from dress to emphasis on certain things like punctuality. Uh, we go through quite a bit of, of, of uh, examples. I, I find students learn quite well with, with examples and, and uh, the whole purpose is to let them know that that medical school and, and training can be quite rigid in some ways. And the process of training physicians uh, evolves slowly over time. So as you know, it wasn't until just 10 years ago that we actually have uh, work hour regulations now. Prior to 2003, you could work over 80 hours a week uh, easily, and those hours really weren't tracked, and now they are. So that uh, shows you how things change over time. Then we, uh, we move into other parts of the course. We talk about understanding and managing the stressors in medicine, the different kind of things that, that can make a career in medicine stressful. Uh, we talk about the uh, re- requirements that, uh, that take place throughout the uh, entire process in terms of education. We talk about the expectations that family and friends and coworkers and faculty will have and how do you manage these things. Um, in some ways, 
medical training can be all consuming. It's not something that you ever really put down. It's more of a lifestyle. And so we go into talking about that. Then we talk about how physicians evaluate and treat difficult patients. And we don't necessarily mean the difficult, interesting cases, but issues of, of um, you know, serving as the safety net uh, for patients who, who can't afford their health care. How do you deal with patients who have drug and alcohol problems or psychiatric illness? Just trying to give them a little bit of an idea uh, that not all medicine is like it appears on TV where someone comes into your office and, and it's a, a very you know, straightforward interaction. Sometimes there's other challenges depending on what your career is. Uh, we talk about medical ethics and some ethical dilemmas that they will face uh, when they're in, in medicine. And this is also a topic we discuss in medical school. Everything from, uh, you know, different decisions you have to make regarding life and death, but also uh, more subtle uh, medical issues that you'll, you'll deal with. Um, then we actually have some lectures on medical malpractice and uh, tort reform, as well as uh, universal health care. And the reason I have these talks is that I feel that it's important to have working knowledge of these topics, especially when applicants go off to, to their interviews. Uh, whenever I ask an applicant, uh, what problem do you see as a young physician that you're going to have to deal with as a physician? About 80% of the time, it's one of those two topics, either universal access or tort reform, medical malpractice. And so I think having an idea that these are, these are current issues that are evolving, uh, it's important for them to know this. Then we start going into the actual uh, kind of uh, heart of the course, uh, everything you really need to know about medical school in terms of the curriculum. Uh, we go over the two different types of curriculum, traditional, uh, which is more lecture-based and uh, problem-based learning curricula. We go through the, the timeline and, the, and, the, and uh, explain about the preclinical years and the clinical years and what's done during each and uh, basically take them through the match process, how the uh, national residency matching process works, how students eventually decide what they're going to specialize in. We go through all of that, and we even give them a timeline on how long it takes uh, to become a certain kind of physician. So explaining what residency is, what a preliminary year is, what a transitional year is, what a fellowship is, and go into that in detail. So they get an understanding that if they want to be a you know, pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon, how long that, that process is going, to, is going to take. Then we go into the details of residency training and explain what the requirements and expectations are in residency, how they're evaluated, uh, and the process of, of becoming a, of receiving your, your permanent medical license. So the uh, three steps of the USMLE, that's covered, uh, as well as how someone becomes an actual board certified physician and all the, all the steps along that way. We, we have a, a video that we show that's a two-part video that is put out by Nova called The Doctor's Diaries. And it's an interesting video that covers seven physicians over about 22 years of practice. It starts in 1987 when they start at medical school at Harvard, and it follows them to the current day. And it shows the challenges along the way for, for that as well. It can be a little bit of a daunting video because it was filmed in the pre-80-hour workweek rule. So uh, the, most of the training took place prior to 2003. And 
it's kind of reflected in, in the way that they, they, uh, the things that they talk about, uh, regarding training and the hours. And, uh, so I, I tell the students just re- realize that things are better now. Um, <laughs> so I don't, uh, <laughs> I, I still hear the same complaints. <laughs> you, you do. And, and, and that is funny. I think everyone just kind of, um, you know, they kind of gravitate, gravitate towards the, whatever the current, current thing is. So you'll hear the same kind of, uh, same kind of complaints. I guess it's what you get used to. Yeah. And uh, then our final two sessions are we have Q&A sessions, one with resident physicians in multiple different specialties, and the other one is with medical students from WashU. That's awesome. And that's, yeah, that's, so it's a pretty thorough curriculum. That's the kind of stuff that that I'm trying to do at medical school headquarters because that's the kind of information that number one is is kind of spread out everywhere on the internet and number two students don't have the time in a traditional kind of pre-med course load students don't have the time to to go out and learn all that stuff that's right so that's and, that's awesome that you build it into a curriculum there at washington right and and you know i think it's it's just that when you look at anyone who goes into any field whether it's engineering or law school architecture. I always found it interesting that every area doesn't have a course like this that really just kind of tells you about the process and what do you actually do when you're there. Yeah, that's awesome. So that's at WashU. We we already said that's exclusive to WashU. What if I've already decided and I'm I'm already a freshman or a sophomore or whatever I'm at 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 state university somewhere else? How do I replicate what you're doing there? Well, I think the key is uh, having a plan. And the advice that I would give a student anywhere would be, number one, the biggest mistake that, that freshman students make is they get overextended early on. And what I recommend is that they get the lay of the land first. They start out slow and they they set up a foundation for success. So students should really come into college and number one, figure out how difficult their courses are and really be a little bit of a bookworm until your first set of exams. And whatever you do, uh, you, you really don't want to engage in more than one serious extracurricular activity in the first semester. Uh, people get overextended. They get too involved in multiple things. Then that first set of exams hits and they're like, wow, I, I didn't realize I wasn't quite prepared. Th- these, are, these exams are a little harder than, than they were in high school. And already you you start behind the eight ball. So I think it's important to start out slow, uh, get to know your advisors, uh, get to know your tutors. I recommend using tutors even if you don't think you need them. Uh, go go to the, the university-provided tutors. Go to help sessions. Get to know your professors. Uh, and really try to start out on a high note. Start the process with momentum and just ease into college. I think that's probably the, the biggest uh, and best way to really start out well. Then after the first semester, I would start a pay, paying attention to the timeline. In med prep, we review benchmarks that a student should try to achieve for each semester of school. And even though a student may not have a course like this at their school, they should sit down and have a general idea of how they're going to use the next three and a half years. They should start making plans for how they want to use their summers early. So April's not the time to figure out what you want to be doing for the summer. I would recommend that in January you start thinking about it and start making plans uh, on what you're going to be doing starting in May or June. And 
have an idea of, of how you're going to be productive in each summer in college. If you start out with that kind of plan, you it's not as daunting. You can uh, it'll give you the feeling at least of, of of being able to slow things down, and then you can start gradually adding uh, more to your plate as each year unfolds. Uh, so all this does not need to be done in the first year, but that I think is the uh, the biggest and best thing you can do. When. When do students at WashU take med prep typically? So we recommend that they take it ideally in their freshman uh, or sophomore year. We do have some students that take it in their junior and senior years, but I've had some juniors come up to me afterwards and say, I wish I would have known some of this material two years ago. And so I think it's really ideal if they take it as early as possible because it really does start out with a, a, you know, a blueprint, a roadmap. Okay. So students, students really should, as soon as they hit campus, they should be trying to figure out the, the timeline that you keep talking about and, if, and plotting it out. Yes. And we, you know, every school is going to have uh, some sort of a pre-health handbook or some kind of guide to kind of help them along. You know, the, the usual uh, curriculum is, is to take general chemistry with a, with a lab in the first year, organic chemistry in the second year, physics in the, in the junior year. And if you're not taking a gap year off, that you're going to take your, your MCAT no later than the spring of your junior year. And so that's kind of the general foundation. But some s- students don't do that. And that's okay, but you need to kind of have a plan on how you're going to, uh, to mix and match your courses and staying in touch with your advisor from the very first day and, and you know, letting that person know what your, your plans are so they can adjust your schedule if they don't think it's, it's the right way to go, that, that's key. So they just have to really be in sync with what's going on uh, and this timeline. Yeah, and another, another tip for interacting with your advisor early on is the fact that your advisor will most likely be writing a letter of recommendation for your yes. AMCAS application or, or your osteopathic application. And it's good if they actually know you when they write that. And, and that's the same thing with getting to know your professors. It's, it's really challenging if you're in a, a large general chemistry or organic chemistry class to have, a prof, to have your professor write a letter for you if they really don't know you. So getting to know them and going to their help sessions, uh, that's that's an important thing too. So it does help to sit in the front row. It probably does. <laughs> so let's, what if a student comes in, unfortunately doesn't listen to this awesome podcast, and does overextend themselves? They they they're on the track team. They join the fraternity or sorority. They're they're taking biochemistry all, all during the first semester. And it hits them like a brick wall it, because it, as, as the students will find out, the, the jump from undergrad courses to med school courses is a tremendous jump. And, and I'm sure there's, there's a, it's not as big of a jump, but there's still a jump between the degree of difficulty of high school and the degree of difficulty of college. So students come in, they're unaware of, of taking it easy to, to start with, to, to get the lay of the land. And they get a bad grade, and all of a sudden they're they're kind of desperate, and they think they're they're done with medicine. Right. What well, do, I, I think 
Well, you know, medical schools look at a student's trend and performance throughout their whole college career. So if a student starts out with a mediocre performance, the key is to try to improve with each successive semester. And, uh, you know, in some ways, this also demonstrates that a student has some resiliency and they can adapt and learn as well. Now, the question always comes up, what do you do if you receive a C in a course? And that's really a personal choice. But in general, I think it makes more sense to simply move forward and do well in higher level courses in the same discipline. You'll hear different opinions about this, but, you know, remember for allopathic schools where you're applying through MCAS, the American Medical College Application Service, students are required to average their original grade with the retake grade. So the benefit of retaking a course is diluted somewhat when it comes to your actual application. So I actually think it's more useful to, to show that you can do well in that subject and actually take a course that's that's a little bit more difficult and do well in that. Uh, when I do recommend that a student retakes a course if they receive a C is if they feel they didn't learn the fundamental material well enough to do well in a higher level course. But, uh, you know, it's a it's a a three year you have three years of coursework when you apply to medical school. If you're applying without uh, if you're applying without a gap year. If you're taking a gap year, that is the benefit of having a full four years. So if students really have some work to do in improving their grade point average, oftentimes they will need to take a gap year so they have all four years of grades going into their application. Okay. And I just want to differentiate for those listening that might not know what uh, was just mentioned, the fact that there's uh, not a grade replacement with AMCAS for allopathic schools, which WashU is, an, an MD-granting school. But right. for the ACOMIS, the osteopathic application for the, the DO schools, they actually will do grade replacement in their kind of vo- right. voodoo math on the application. And so if you get a C in a course and you retake it and get an A, they don't see the C, they see an A. That's right. So that there's a, a little bit more leniency with the, the DO application. So right. something to think about. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other, the other thing too is, and going back a little bit to the question you asked about what a student should do if they're in another school other than WashU is, is um, to really have an understanding of each component of the application. So you have your GPA, you have your MCAT, and you shouldn't fixate too much on the numbers, but these are the, the two main things that you should really focus on in order for you to get over that first bar because these are the main screening criteria that, that really all medical schools are going to use. So making your academics your priority is key above all else. Then you, you need to start branching out and exploring, and you need to answer the question for yourself, why medicine? Why not something else? So exploring what it means to a physician can be done in different ways. You, you need to figure out, do you understand what they do? Do you like what they do? This is where shadowing comes into play. So uh, taking the time to actually uh, be in a physician's office or be in a clinic or a hospital where you get to see what doctors do, I think is, is important. It doesn't need to be extensive, but it needs to be enough that you actually see kind of the day-to-day process of, of what they do for, for, you know, their day-to-day life. And then you need to kind of think, uh, you know, what other things about being a physician uh, might you like? Do you like the integration of science uh, and, and people? Do you think you would like research? Um, 
And some of these, uh, at least the people part, you can answer through community service, through tutoring. That's all great leadership activities. But ultimately, at some point, the student really needs to do some medically related extracurricular activities that demonstrate they've explored patient care. And the reason is not just to check the box for a med school application, but for them to answer for themselves, uh, is this what I really want to do? Do I actually like working with patients? And, uh, you know, schools want to see that you're passionate about these experiences. So, so just having uh, multiple different activities that are very brief in duration is, is not really the way to go. It's better to, to, to do something where you really explore it and to do that takes some time, something that you're doing, you know, over the course of a year or two. It doesn't need to be real time consuming, but you can spend four hours a week doing some activity and try to spread that out. And, and get to, you know, find out if it's really something you're passionate about. These are the kind of questions you need to answer for yourself. And then that's why med schools want to see that on your application is to see that you've done that. The, the question always comes up, and you just mentioned a little bit with research. The question always comes up, do I need to do research to get into med school? Mm-hmm. Can, can you kind of talk about when a student should or shouldn't do research or, or just any volunteer activity mm-hmm. that they think is mandatory to go into an application. Right. I'm very careful with saying that anything is mandatory. I think that with regard to research, exploring research is a, is a good thing if, if a student feels that they might have an interest in it. How do you really know unless you try it? If you find that it's not for you, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that doing research when you know you do not like it and it's not an interest is not a good thing to do because you're probably not going to be very good at it. And you could use that time and energy to, to put towards something that you, you're really passionate about. So I think exploring that's fine, but research is not a mandatory thing for your medical school application. It's just another feather in your cap, so to speak, like anything is uh, within your application. But I think that that doing something that you are really interested in, that you're good at, that you enjoy comes through. It comes through in so many different ways. When you talk about it, the extent of time that you devote to it, that's the way I would look at, look at that or any other activity that, that a student does. Okay. When a high school senior is thinking about going into undergrad and applying to undergrad schools with the grand goal of going into medicine, applying to medical school, and they know that WashU is right at the top of the list every year for uh, top U.S. medical schools. Mm-hmm. How, when a student is trying to pick what undergrad institution they go to, how important is it for that name on, on the undergrad school to get to a, a school like WashU or any medical school? See, I don't look at it in terms of name. I look at it in terms of preparation. So the thing that makes WashU such a great school to go to for college is it prepares students uh, extremely well. And when students come and, and look at WashU, I think they, they see all the different opportunities that are available to them in a place where they 
would enjoy going to school. So having a good gestalt about whether that school is a good fit, I think is the key. You need to go somewhere that you know that you're going to do well because you love being there. You love the student body. Uh, you love the the different opportunities they have available to you. And I think that's the way you should approach where you go to college and honestly, where you go to medical school as well. So if you're from Florida and you've never seen snow, it's probably not a good idea to go to a, a school with terrible winters. I don't know. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, St. Louis, I've had a lot of students that say, you know, it's kind of nice coming up here and seeing all four seasons. Yeah. Now someone who lives here, I'm, I'm a little tired of it, but you know, <laughs> the grass is always greener. It is. That's right. <laughs> all right. What's one of the, the, the students going through med prep, they come in bright eyed and bushy tailed. What are some of the misconceptions about medicine that they have that they find out during the course that they maybe they're kind of discouraged after hearing the news or Mm -hmm. what do you see during the course? I think the thing that is the most uh, shocking to them is how all consuming medicine is when they see that it truly becomes more and more of your life as you get further down the process, at least as you get further down the training process, that becomes a little um, a daunting to them. We have in our medical student Q and A sessions, I'll have students from every level, first, second, third, and fourth year, and it's really interesting to see how they talk about their medical school experience, depending on what year they are. And the first year, we'll talk about how much free time they have, and then you look at the third year student who just got off of being on all night. Uh, you know, they haven't shaved. They, they show up in scrubs. They look tired. They also look fulfilled. They look like they're having fun, but you can kind of tell that, uh, they haven't been doing much else, but, but medicine uh, for that, for that year. And, uh, so I think that's what kind of, um, you know, when students talk about it and you just hear about the, the realistic lifestyle involved in medicine, I think it just kind of hits home to students. And I think it's important for them to know that because, you know, you can still be happy, but you're going to work hard. And uh, eventually when you come out on the other end after your residency, hopefully you'll, you'll have the kind of lifestyle that you want. And I really emphasize during this period that you can find a specialty that works with your lifestyle you just have to understand what it is that you want and have a realistic expectation of what the average lifestyle is for that specialty. So if you think that you, uh, you want to have three days off a week and, uh, you know, and, and have a, a busy neurosurgical practice and uh, be able to go to every one of your kids' uh, soccer games, uh, that's probably not realistic. You know, may, I'm sure there are some doctors out there that can that can do that in that field, but but you just have to kind of understand what it is that you want, and and when when students find that match when they're when it comes time for them to pick a specialty, uh, all these things come into play. How much finances do you talk during the med prep course, as far as salaries, average salaries for different specialties, and kind of payback tables? and how long it's going to take to pay back med school loans. We used to have a session on on financial aid. I ended up taking that out just because as the course got more focused on freshmen 
it just seemed like it was so far, uh, not like a, a immediate concern and helping them make the decision. That's usually not going to be the, th- the thing that really helps them make the decision is the financial aid question, where, where the, the money is going to come from. Uh, but we do talk about incomes because I know they're interested in that and that some specialties make more than others. Uh, I don't want them to ever hopefully have that as the reason why they go into a particular specialty. I guess some do, but, but yeah, we go through that as well. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. It's important. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to switch gears to kind of close out here. Uh, Applications as we're recording this applications are opening up pretty soon. Right. And being on the admissions committee at WashU medical school, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see on applications for students that aren't getting into school? Well, the biggest thing that a student can control that I really emphasize is the importance of filing your application as early as possible. Many schools accept applicants on a rolling basis. So when MCAS opens in May and you can start working on your application, uh, students should do so. And then when you can actually send off everything in the first week of June, I recommend that students try to get their application in at least by July 15th. When you start moving further than that later down the road, it, it, it just delays the whole process. And as med schools fill up, each applicant that they interview, it, it really does. It becomes more competitive. It becomes harder to get into medical school when there's fewer spots available. So when December rolls around, schools may have 40%, 50% of their class filled. So that's one thing they should really do and control uh, to make sure they have a good turnaround time on their secondary applications because the whole key is to to get your application seen uh, by the admissions committee as soon as possible. So you really would like to have everything submitted early, have your secondaries submitted as soon as you can, uh, accept interviews as, as early as possible, and, uh, and try to, to uh, keep things moving like that. It's very easy for some students to get a secondary application and have it sit on their desk for a month. And they just, and they don't realize that, you know, uh, time is ticking away. That's important. The other thing is just to, to really, you know, be thorough in the way that you, you do your application. Don't have any spelling errors. Make sure you you take time to work on your personal statement. And, um, if you plan, just like I said at the beginning, if you if you t- take this methodically and, and, and plan early, this doesn't have to be, uh, you know, too difficult of a process. Yeah, it, it's, it's what it all comes down to is just planning and knowing. Right. And having that insight. And what, what you were just describing as having your application in early is is the rolling admissions process, right? Right, right. So, Schools don't just gather all the applications and then one day start looking at them all. They're constantly reviewing and constantly accepting interviews and accepting people. So the the earlier that you can get your name in. Right. The ones that do rolling admissions do that. Now, there are some schools that will batch and then and then have certain times along the, the process where they will they will then offer acceptances after they look at a, a certain pool, certain number within the pool. But. Why even worry about which schools do that? Just get get them in early to all the schools. Yeah, uh, that's the the best thing. 
I see a lot of students worry about things. They ask questions about things that they really can't control and they create these scenarios. Uh, I had one student come up to me and ask me, well, what if I don't get my application in early? And she was a sophomore. And I said, what, you're planning on getting it in late? And so I, it didn't make sense. The question didn't make any sense to me. I said, well, don't get it in late. You're a sophomore. Don't get it in late. Uh, plan on getting it in early. And, and don't, don't spend all that energy worrying about something that, you know, that you can control right now. So that's, that's the type A pre-med personality that we all know and right. love. Right. All right. Where can students find more information about MedPrep? So the website is medprep.wustl.edu. All right, folks. Again, I will have everything that we talked about, including the links to MedPrep, in the show notes at medicalschoolhq.net slash session 23. Again, we want to interact with you. We want to know what you're thinking. We want to carry on this conversation. And you can do that at that on the show notes page. At the bottom, there's a comment box. You can leave a question. You can leave a comment. If you have a question for Dr. Politis, I'll make sure that he comes on the site and reads it and can answer it. You can also interact with us on Twitter. We're at Medical School HQ. You can email us, feedback at medicalschoolhq.net. We've been hearing some great stuff from you guys, and we want to keep hearing it. As always, I hope the information provided will help better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Make sure to join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to us in iTunes. That'll let you get all of our old podcasts with a click of a button and any future podcasts you'll automatically get. So don't forget to do that.